0: back to my seminary life. I'm your host, Brandon Knight, and this is our first series of 2024 lead them to worship, where we are exploring what it looks like to have a proper theology of worship, and also how to think critically about worship ministry within a church. These are two separate things, and I think that's going to be very evident by the end of this episode, that we can have a theology of worship, and worship ministry are separate entities. They cross over, obviously, because both involve worship. But when it comes to this idea of worship throughout this series, we're going to be thinking critically about ministry and also to look at what worship looks like in the everyday as well. And today, To get into today's conversation, we're going to go to one of my favorite stories in all of Scripture, one of my favorite chapters of the Bible, John chapter 4, most famously known for the story of the Samaritan woman at the well. I love this chapter. I think I've talked about it before here on the show, Um, just my love for this chapter, because there is so much... There is so much packed into this narrative. You know, sometimes you get into books like Romans or, you know, any of the epistles, and there's a lot to unpack because it's theology and, you know, Paul making sense of what we are believing now and how that, you know, what that looks like practically in our lives. And I feel like when we get into narratives, it's a little bit more. Like, here's the story and an application, you know, we're a little bit more, whether this is the point of the stories in the Bible, the narratives in the Bible or not, we're a little bit more like, here's the moral of the story at the end of the narrative, kind of like, you know, back during um, the ancient Greece series. We did an episode on Aesop fables, these like short parable like stories that had a clear moral at the end of it. I feel like when we talk about the narratives of the Bible, it's usually this presentation of here's the story and the one moral at the end of the story. And I think John chapter four really speaks against that. There is so much to unpack in this story. Um. The high level, to get to where we're, what I want to camp out at in this episode, um, the high level of what's going on here is that Jesus and the disciples are on their way declaring the kingdom, and to get to their next destination, they're going to go through Samaria— Typically, Jewish people went around Samaria. They did not interact with the Samaritans because Samaritans were were this half breed, half Jewish, half Gentile uh, group of people that came out during the uh, exile and post-exilic era of history. And because the Jewish people t- take very seriously the um, at the time took very seriously the, um, this idea of not intermingling with Gentiles, um, full-blooded Jewish people looked down upon Samaritans and therefore would avoid them like the plague. And, uh, but Jesus and his, Jesus decides that, you know, the quickest, route from one destination to the next is a straight line. So they're going to go through Samaria. And while they're in Samaria, disciples go to look for food. Jesus meets this woman at a well and starts talking to her. Again, very cultural, taboo moment. Jesus is a well-known rabbi and a man. This is a woman who is Samaritan, and as the uh, conversation goes on, we find out that this woman has been married several times over, is living with someone currently who is not her husband. So all of these would have been typically red flags for somebody in Jesus' position to not Give this person the time of day whatsoever and they get talking and they're going back and forth and this is the famous uh, Jesus talking about uh, living water if you you know if you drink from this well you'll thirst again, but I can give you living water um, but as the conversation goes, we see this a lot in the gospels. Where this woman raises a question, this question that really has nothing to do with what they've been talking about, but this happens a lot in the gospels where people raise a question to try and like throw Jesus off a little bit, you know, like we see this a lot, especially with like the Pharisees and all the other religious groups of they're starting to feel maybe intimidated by Jesus, um, and so they're going to throw a curveball question at him to see how he will respond and oftentimes when jesus gets these curveball questions he throws the curveball right back at them with his response and the question that this woman has is okay you jewish people you say that you have to worship in jerusalem at the temple we samaritans say you're supposed to worship god they believe in the same god we are we say that you're supposed to worship god In this specific, at this specific mountain, one thing that kind of comes up uh, with Samaritan history, and in this conversation between this woman and Jesus, is that the Samaritans really hold to their cultural identity. It seems like not so much Abraham, but Jacob. Jacob played a significant role in the area where the Samaritans live now, and so a lot of what their like cultural religious significance go back to. Jacob rather than Abraham. Um so she's like you people say worship in Jerusalem at the temple my people say here at this mountain who's right? And Jesus says John chapter 4 starting in verse 21 through 24 this is going to be our verses of the day. Jesus replied I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. Believe me dear woman the time is coming when it will no longer matter, matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and And in truth, the Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Again, so much to unpack, right? So much to unpack here. Right from the start, Jesus tells her, this, I this you know and no longer it will, it will, there's a time coming where it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. Hold that thought we're going to come back to that but just this like mic drop moment, from Jesus in verse 22, you Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. Now, this is a theologically correct statement, as we'll see, especially when we get into the epistles, this idea that um, you know, salvation is to the Jews first and then also the Greeks. It was all throughout the Old Testament that the Messiah would come to save the Jewish people and the nations as well. And I don't want to make that sound like the nations are like an afterthought or anything like that. But the priority was first the Jews and then the rest of us Gentiles. Hello, how are you? And it's just, again, one of those moments. It's important to reiterate the fact that the fact that Jesus is spending any time with this woman at all is already breaking so many cultural taboos. And he is bringing the gospel to her. So everything he is doing here is loving, is caring, is respectful. But still, just this little mic drop moment from Jesus of like, you Samaritans don't really know who you're worshiping. And if I remember correctly, the Samaritans even had their own translation of the Hebrew scriptures that was different from what the Jewish people were reading with the Torah and the Psalms and the prophets and all that. But the real thing a real focus I want to get to here though is here in verses 23 and 24 where Jesus says, "But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way, for God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth." Now, I have heard people talk about these two verses, specifically this idea of worshiping God the Father in spirit and in truth. And typically, when people talk about worshiping God in spirit and in truth, this is principalized to talk about the kind of music that we are singing on Sunday mornings during worship time at our services. And what's interesting is that this argument is can be used positively no matter which side of the worship wars you were on. So the worship wars, by way of American evangelical recap, started like the 80s, maybe a little bit before then all the way to the early 2000s of this transitional period of time where churches were trying to decide if they were going to sing less and less hymns and embrace more modern contemporary songs and musical instruments. It was a whole thing. And still to this day in the year of our Lord, 2024, there are still churches going through this transit transition and trying to find ways to help everybody feel at home with the kind of music that they are playing. Some churches are still fully committed to the top 40 praise songs. Others are still committed to the top 40 hymns of the past, the oldie station versus the you know top 40 station of today. Um, either way, still the top 40. And no matter which side of the worship wars you fall on, you can use this argument of we are to sing songs that are that glorify god and bring praise and worship to him in spirit and in truth on either side of the worship war argument if you are very pro him you can definitely argue the in truth part because many of the especially current contemporary worship songs, and praise songs, and Christian music is very fluffy, very emotionally driven, and not very theologically deep, while hymns in their original concept were written to teach theological truth. The intention behind hymns originally was to write songs with rich theology as an additional way to teach the congregation theological truths. Does that mean that every hymn is theologically accurate? Of course not. Are there hymns that are maybe a little wonky at times? Yes, there are. There are. Not every hymn is perfect. We're not talking about divinely inspired literature here. If you want to sing some divinely inspired songs, start putting more music to the Psalms at your church, I guess, because churches do do that. Those in the more liturgical setting will sit back and sing the Psalms or read them responsively or something like that. Um, but when it comes to the hymns, the argument is that they are very theologically sound. Whereas those on the more worship song end of things, they come to this verse and look at it and say, We are engaging with the spirit part, we are worshiping in spirit. And there is also some truth. Um, there is truth, not some truth. There is truth in modern worship songs, um, but these kind of songs, the mo- more modern worship songs, uh, dating all the way back to you know the '90s and '80s and up until now, um, they are very engaging if I can use that kind of word. Uh, they are songs that are driven to cause some form of an emotional response, which is not always a bad thing. Those who come from the very strict hymn world have a very hard time with the idea. And I don't mean that like in a, in a negative way. This is just speaking generally here. Oftentimes people who come from a very, we sing the hymns, position have a very negative view towards emotional expression. whereas modern worship songs are encouraging you to have physical expression of worship. it's that way you are worshiping with your whole body, not just your words and your mind, but also physically and spiritually as well as you raise your hands and sing, so for some reason I was going to say glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill towards man. That's what the angel said. Um, but, uh, you know, raise your hands and sing. why am I blinking on all the, the worship songs? Shout to the Lord or whatever, you know, shout to the Lord. If you're not shouting while you're singing, shout to the Lord, something is wrong. And also if you're not going to stand while singing, stand up for Jesus, that might be a problem. And furthermore, Some hymns do demand a little bit of physical response, I would argue. I mean, victory in Jesus, hello. If you're not moving around and maybe smiling a little while you're singing victory in Jesus, I think you're doing it wrong. Regardless, so this is where, uh, coming back to our passage here about worshiping God in spirit and in truth, a lot of times when I hear people talk about this passage, they talk about the music, The thing is, though, is that we have to go back to the context. And the context of this question has nothing to do with music. The Samaritan woman does not come up to Jesus and say, you Jewish people say you're supposed to worship God by singing the Psalms. We Samaritans say you should sing these songs we wrote. I'm just making that up. I don't know if they wrote any. What which one is right? Her question is not that. Her question is where. Where do we worship? Do we worship in Jerusalem at the temple or here on this mountain? And that's the question that Jesus answers. This is a question about location, not music. He says so right from the get-go. Again, verse 21, Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. And then a little bit later, in verse 23, he says, But the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now. With the advent of Jesus... With Jesus now on the scene, the kingdom of God being ushered in, it no longer matters whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem, but that the Father is looking for those who will worship him in spirit and in truth, for God is spirit. And he wants those to worship him in spirit and in truth. This is... Maybe you can principalize it, but this is not about music. This is about where. Where do we worship? Not There's a how. There's a little bit of a how here in what Jesus says, but the question is where? And Jesus' answer, in part, is don't get tied to a location. Now, I wish we had more conversations like this in 2020 when we were battling it out over whether or not churches should shut down. If the argument is churches should not shut down because we have to be at our building to worship, I am here to say you are wrong. We do not have to be at our building to worship. Jesus says so right here a time is indeed now where we will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. We do not have to be tied to a location. We don't have to be tied to a location in order to worship. And I will say, you know, what are we on? Year four removed from the pandemic now? I would say churches are still going through the growing pains of what does it look like now to have Digital ministry in a way that it is more than just, okay, let's just live stream the church service onto Facebook and YouTube. We're still going through some growing pains, or hopefully churches are still thinking critically about what does it look like to have digital members of a church? What does it look like to have people who cannot gather in a building, but are still wanting to be a part of of the congregation to worship, because we are not tied to a building, but we worship God in spirit and in truth. So what does that part mean? Okay, so we're not, we're not to be obsessed with a central location. We have to be at church on Sunday. You don't have to be on, at church on Sunday in order to worship God. If that is the only time you are worshiping God, you are missing the point. Because when we worship God in spirit and in truth, we are embracing the fact that the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is here in this place that we as believers, as disciples of Jesus are the temple of the Holy Spirit, which means that as I go through my daily life, as I am singing in the car with my son, as I am singing my son to sleep, as I am praying through the day, as I read scripture, as I love my wife, as I love my son, as I love those who are around me. I am worshiping, and I am worshiping with disciples of Jesus All around the world doing who knows what, but we are all worshiping God together because we worship in spirit and we worship in truth. Again, there is not a. Again, you know, I've talked about before that I think we're getting to a point where pastors need to realize more and more that we can't. We can't operate that we know everything all of the time about God and our faith. But we still need to stand on the scriptures. We still need to stand on the word. We need to be engaged with the truth. There are things that scripture says, there are things in the Bible that God has put in there for what it looks like to follow Jesus, to be a disciple of him whether it's the beatitudes the great commandment the whole sermon on the mount you know there's there is examples there are teachings in the scripture that show us what it means to follow Jesus and when we adhere to the words of scripture and we communicate the words of scripture then we are worshiping in truth when i make a mistake and I apologize to my wife or to my son when I speak truth to my wife or to my students, when I tell them the word of God, when I preach the word of God, when I'm recording a show here, when I'm, when I'm reading the Bible to my son, when I'm doing these things, when I am engaging with truth in a way that is building others up and not weaponizing truth against someone else, when I am using truth to build others up, to point them to Jesus as I am following Jesus, then I am worshiping in truth. And again, as believers all across the world are doing that at the exact same time God is worshiped all over the world. There is never a moment where God is not receiving our praise and worship because we are not bound to a location. As we go through our days, all around the world, believers in Jesus are bringing him praise and worship. We worship in spirit and in truth. And that's all I really have for us today. A lot of this series especially in the next uh, couple weeks is going to focus a little bit more on the ministry aspect when it comes to worship ministry or comes to worship, which is why I wanted to take this 20, 25 minutes that we've had here today to really camp out and remind everybody of something that every worship pastor, leader, director, whatever word isn't trademarked. That's a whole other issue that we should probably talk about at some point. Um, that when it comes to that, you know, every worship leader has tried to remind us and teach us again and again, that worship is more than just the singing that we do on a Sunday morning. And that is true. Worship is not tied to a central location. It doesn't even have to be music as disciples of Jesus. We are unified by the spirit and by the truth. And when we engage with those things, We are worshiping God every moment of every day, day by day. And with each passing moment, God receives our praise and worship. And so I would say if there's a practical step to take from this, this draws us to be mindful. To be mindful of the fact that at all times we have the opportunity to bring worship to the father as a body of believers. And that's not some like guilt trip. I'm not trying to give you a guilt trip. There's plenty of guilt trips in Christianity. I'm not trying to give you a guilt trip here. But hopefully this moves your mind, and moves your heart a little bit to realize that in truly in all things at all moments that you are awake and arguably even when you're asleep all moments, you have the opportunity to engage in worship with your brothers and sisters in the faith all around the world. May that change how we approach God. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed it, please share it with someone that you think will also enjoy it, you can always go down into the description of this episode to find all the important links to all of the important things. If you would like to financially support the show, you can do that by heading on over to buymeacoffee.com slash MSL pod. You can uh, make a one-time donation. You can donate towards our fundraiser to raise funds, to get a new laptop. You can now order commissions. Would you like a digital study guide of one chapter out of the new Testament handwritten? Well, not handwritten hand typed by me. All study guides include, uh, teaching points, questions for, uh, reflection and facilitating discussion, application ideas, and the research that I do. You get to pick the chapter as well. Study guides start at $15. Unless you're a monthly supporter, then you get it for halvesies. And speaking of monthly supporters, you can also support the show monthly over at Buy Me a Coffee as well. Everyone who supports the show at the $9 a month level gets a shout-out here on the show. So thank you, Lori, for supporting the show Uh, next week my brother Bradley will be back on the show and we're going to do a book report together I haven't gotten to do a book report with somebody yet we're going to be doing a book report together talking about Holy Roar written by Darren Whitehead and Chris Tomlin yes that Chris Tomlin one last thing before we dippity do out of here hit me up Either slide into our DMs on Facebook or Instagram, or send us an email at emailseminarylife at gmail.com, and let me know what are some of your favorite hymns and worship songs. I'm curious. Please let me know. Well, until next time, this is Brandon signing off, reminding you, as always, that theology is for everyone, so keep on studying.